Episode 102, Overflow Cafe. Hey Chainers, welcome to another edition of Chain of Wealth. I'm your host, Dennis O'Brien. And I'm Katie Welsh. So Katie, today we're chatting with Jeff Hall and he's got quite an interesting story. Yeah, I was pretty bummed I didn't get a chance to sit in on this conversation. I know. (laughs) So for anyone that doesn't know, Katie's recently started a day job teaching again and she's absolutely loving it. Yeah, it has been a lot of fun, Den. Um, I definitely remember why I loved teaching so much, but I also remember why I used to come home and go to bed at like eight o'clock because the days are long and the hours are long. So Unfortunately, I didn't quite make it home for this one. Yeah. I'm going to try to do better, though. (laughs) Yeah, and we've also pushed a couple of the interviews later on, so Katie should still be able to partake in most of them. So fear not, Chinas. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, today's guest is really, really cool. Serial entrepreneur from a very, very young age. We had an absolutely great conversation, and we hope you enjoy. You ready to dive right in? Yeah. Awesome. Let's do it. Welcome to Chain of Wealth. Here's your host, Dennis, inspiring you to begin your journey of financial freedom. Hey, Chainers. Welcome to another edition of Chain of Wealth. Today, we have Jeff Hall with us. Jeff never had a choice but to become an entrepreneur. At the age of seven, he sold candy because money meant escaping his life of poverty and neglect. By the age of 13, he acquired a reputation as a computer nerd at school, quite by accident, and began working on his school's computers. At 15, he began his company, Overflow Cafe, in order to keep from being evicted from his home. And at 17, he was lying about his age to get the commercial lease for his first office. Remarkably, he's still helping new and small businesses become popular online. Overflow Cafes, 23 years later, along with another four successful startups under his belt. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you so much, Dennis. I must say, you really have quite the story. And, you know, it almost seems like it was too easy for you. So I'd like to (laughs) throw you a bit of a curveball. Tell us about some of your failures. I'm sure it wasn't all glitz and glam. Yeah, no, no, definitely wasn't all glitz and glam. I'll tell you, my the failure that the failures and there's there are many, uh, but the ones that keep me up at night, I would say, is the relationships that I lost uh, while going from point A to point B. Uh, I was a, a workaholic. I I was a, extremely aggressive when I was younger, uh, especially in my twenties. And I just sort of let relationships uh, drift apart. I let relationships dissolve. Uh, I just thought, well, these people will be here uh, when I'm finished this project or when I've reached this goal. Uh, And that just wasn't the case. And I let it happen uh, more than once. I let it happen more than once. And I really regret that. And I always tell people who are just starting out, to maintain your relationships uh, as best as you can, because what's the point of reaching your goal if you don't have a bunch of loved ones to celebrate with? Yeah, you're completely true, you know, and relationships are so critical. And 
I, I can completely understand how you can get absorbed into that mindset of, you know, like, let's just get all this work done, trying to achieve whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. Like, it, trying to find that balance is actually quite a bit of a challenge. It is, you know, especially with business, um, you know, you don't, a lot of people think, well, I'll be my own boss and I'll, I'll operate on my own schedule. Well, yeah, you know, but if you ever want to grow, you know, if you ever want to grow and expand, you're going to have to deal with people and, you know, then you're going to have to deal with their schedules, which are going to be different from your schedule. And, and, and then, you know, you're going to work nights and you're going to work early, you know, extreme early mornings. I've had appointments with people in different time zones, you know, at four o'clock in the morning and, and, and 11 o'clock at nighttime, you know, and so it's difficult. Uh, I've missed weddings. I've missed funerals, uh, get togethers and reunions and, and all kinds of stuff like that. And, you know, it's tough because with, you know, with my luck, it's always, well, you know, there's, there's a, a $200,000 deal on the table, you know, but I'm going to have to miss a wedding. Well, what am I going to do? Especially when you're starting out, you know, or, or, and, and especially where I come from, I came from literally zero, or I tell people I was less than zero you know, most of the time you're going to choose to skip the, uh, the wedding and, and hurt a relationship in order to reach a goal. Yeah. And especially for entrepreneurs as well. I think many people that just work office jobs, they kind of like, yeah, I've got this big deal, but I want to go to this wedding. And ultimately the owners of the business are the people that really suffer the consequences of that. But Likewise, if you are the owner, you then have to sacrifice, especially if it's such a major contract or major sale that you're working on, that's honestly, it's going to take priority in some form or fashion. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was uh, listening to the news today and, you know, Elon Musk was saying that he still works about 120 hours a week, you know, and I'm trying to crunch the numbers like, wow, this guy, he never takes any time off and, you know, to achieve uh, what he's achieved, uh, from what I hear, that's those are the hours that people have to work. Yeah, and so uh, I really feel for people in those circumstances that you know they want to have great relationships and they want to build a huge business. I mean, my business is small, um, but for the people who are doing it even bigger, uh, it's just incredible what they have to sacrifice. Yeah, I completely agree. So what would you say the difference is between running a business with money and running it with no money? You know, when I started out, it was with no money. And I, I don't want to say I miss those days because I don't. But one thing I miss is when you don't have money, you, know, you really have to take your time and do your due diligence. And when you do your due diligence... You, you know, you innovate and you make less mistakes. Even though you go slower, you succeed more often. I find that nowadays with too much money in our bank account, we just throw money at everything. You know, we throw money at everything. Instead of innovating when we're developing our software, you know, we just go out and we get a bunch of coders and we say, okay, build this for us. Build, our clients want this, build it for. And we don't even take the time to, you know, before I review each line, of code, or I would help write the code line by line. I don't do that anymore. You know, if we want to do a marketing campaign, I don't even bother to say, uh, well, let me do my due diligence and see 
if this marketing campaign is of any use to us. I'll just say, okay, here's a hundred grand, you know, and we're going to do this six month banner ad campaign. Terrible, terrible mistake. And so when you have money, you make a lot more mistakes because you're just throwing money at everything. And that's why you'll see that, you know, a business, their profit margin will oftentimes shrink as they get bigger. Yeah, and you're completely right. That's something that happens so often, you know, especially when they start getting, you know, like listed on stock exchanges and they, they start becoming a mature company. And like, it's like you say, that ability to innovate and to actually adapt to market conditions and to realize stuff, they end up becoming so much um, almost like red, corporate red tape that you have to yeah. sort of navigate through. And that makes things really, really challenging. Oh, yeah. You know, um, we have a small staff here, 17 people. And in, that's really small. Like we're considered a small business. We've got 45,000 clients. And now if there a decision, you know, before when a decision had to be made and there was no money and less staff, it was easy. Okay, well, I'm going to sit here for an hour and I'm going to make a decision. Versus now it's like, okay, we're, you know, we're all going to throw money at it. And our staff, sometimes we think, well, that's the easy way out. We'll just throw money at it and, and that'll be that. And so it's, um, you know, there's also the plus side as well. There obviously there's, I don't want to, I don't want to mislead anyone. There's a plus side to having money, um, you know, in your business, you can make investments and you can go after deals that you otherwise wouldn't be able to go after. Um, uh, somebody wrote a book called the power of broke. I think his name is Damon John. Uh, he's the founder of FUBU. Um, uh, yeah, it's Damon John. Go ahead and, and, I mean, I would definitely recommend that book. Really, really good. The Power Broken, he was broke when he started. And he talks, like, the whole book is about how, you know, the having the right mindset uh, when it comes to finances. Because he's got tons of money now. And he says he's just throwing money after everything. And it, it's not the best way. Yeah, and it's the, easy, the easiest thing to do as well when, when you have the money. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah. talking about not having money, what advice would you give to someone that's sort of still starting out in business and they're a little bit more cautious? Yeah, it's good that they're cautious. It's really good. I'll tell you, in my opinion, the number one thing, know your numbers. Like know every single thing that there is to know about your business and about your industry. You know, some people, they say, I mean, I, I know people who they're an artist, for example, and they say, well, I'm going to start my own art business or they're a licensed electrician and they say, well, I'm going to start my own electrician business. Those are two very different things. You really have to learn about your industry. Who are the competitors that you're going to be facing? What are the costs? to start up and then to run your business. Um, what are the, the, the possible downsides? Is your industry on, a, on an upswing or is your industry on a downswing? I had a client a couple months ago who just starting out in business had a wild idea to purchase thousands and, and tens of thousands of these uh, silicone bracelets with um, motivational sayings on them. They're from the 90s. And he wanted to, and he says, you know, Jeff, I want to make, I have a goal to make $500,000 a year selling these bracelets. And I showed him the numbers that people aren't buying these bracelets anymore. And if they are, they're not buying them online. And this is going to be troublesome. And all the other 
sellers that are selling these bracelets, they're selling them for like a dollar. And he was so, you know, he was so brokenhearted over it, but I had to show him the, the truth. And, you know, a lot of people, they go in very naive and they think, well, I'll make $500,000 in my first year selling bracelets. Well, maybe you will, but most likely you won't. So really know your numbers and then you can be realistic and set very realistic goals. And when you set realistic goals, you'll be able to reach those goals and, and probably surpass those goals. But if you go in not knowing anything, you're not going to reach your goals. So I know I mentioned earlier that you have some other startups that you've started and they've been quite successful. Would you like to discuss some of them? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, back when I was really young, I started a company called High Tech Computer Systems. And uh, basically what we did, you bring in your, your computer system, uh, your desktop, and I would take it apart and then I would put new parts in it. I'd upgrade it. And um, I think I had a price point back then. It was $339 and you would get a beautiful upgrade. It was state of the art at the time. And um, uh, I worked with uh, medium sized companies in the Toronto area. I worked with some high schools um, upgrading their computer systems. And so it was really fantastic. Uh, I ended up selling the company shortly after. Um, I participated in a prepaid gift card company. Um, and so I was one of the founders of that. And we ended up selling that over to bank. Um, this is back in 2004, 2005, sorry. Um, and I participated in over 200 Kickstarter projects. If you head on over to my website and scroll to the social icons at the bottom, you can click on my Kickstarter link and see each of the Kickstarter projects I've worked on over the years. And um, yeah, most of them have sort of, you know, not really done anything special. Probably 95% of them, unfortunately. Uh, but, you know, 5% of them have been real gems. And they've gone on to do uh, really well. Educational products, uh, children's educational toys, and, and uh, uh, books on theater and, and things like that. Just really neat um, niche products. So Jeff, we have a lot of bloggers that listen to our podcast, specifically personal finance bloggers. So what would you say are some of the metrics that search engines use to rank websites and what should people be on the lookout for? Yeah, you know, if you're a blogger, um, I've got tons of clients that are bloggers and I, I tell them all the same thing. Don't aim for 100,000 blog posts that people aren't going to read. It's better to have less posts that are higher quality. And Google knows how much time people are spending on your blog. So um, let's say that you have uh, a blog, uh, a blog article, and let's say that it's about, I'm gonna say 2000 words. That's an excellent word count for a blog. Well, Google counts, okay, this blog page has 2000 words. Oh, a visitor just landed on this page. So the, this user, Google knows, should stay on that page for about 15 minutes in order to read those 2,000 words. Now, if the user leaves after 30 seconds, you're going to lose a point. But if the user stays for 15 minutes or more, that is absolutely amazing. You're going to gain a point in Google, and your blog will rank higher for whatever the content and you know whatever the content is for that blog. So. Um, I've seen people delete tons and tons and tons of poorly performing 
blog posts and their website rankings just go higher and their traffic goes higher because even though they have less posts, it's higher quality and people are spending time reading and then even reading multiple blog posts and that helps your rankings in Google. So aim for quality. You know, some bloggers, they say, oh, I want to write a blog every day. Okay, well, maybe your users aren't going to visit your blog every single day. Uh, why don't you try once a month and make it extremely high quality? That's my advice. That definitely makes a lot of sense. So I now have the other spectrum, and that's people with online businesses like e-commerce sort of stores and stuff like that. And how could they convert their websites, um, visitors to paying customers? Yeah, that, that's a tough one. I mean, that's a really, really tough question. It's an art form. And there's so many consulting agencies out there that charge you a fortune to figure out, you know, visitor behavior. There's software packages that you can add to your website, heat maps and stuff like that to show you, uh, you know, where your visitor is reading and what they're clicking on and what they're not reading and, and things like that. So it's a difficult thing to say sort of um, it's difficult to give a, a broad answer. Um, but I would say that, you know, you need to know who your visitor is and you need to know what they want. If it's a, um, you know, if you're selling something, um, if you're selling a product, make sure that you have photographs of the product, make sure that you have clear uh, pricing and shipping information for the product, all the stuff that you would want to know if you landed on that page. If it's a, a service website, like you're in a, a, an electrician with, um, you know, with a website and you service a certain area, make sure that you tell people what area you service. I mean, I've gone to websites and I'm saying, okay, I'd like to buy this product. Oh, you don't ship to my country. I'm in Canada. They don't, they might not ship to me. Well, that's aggravating. I went through the whole checkout process. Or the product, I've actually gone through the process where I've ordered and then I got an email, oh, this product is out of stock. Your, your, your order has been canceled. That's aggravating too. So just having it all together and making it extremely easy for the customer. The easier it is, you know, the more they'll buy. Think about, um, well, the biggest retailer out there, Amazon. Look at Amazon.com and what they're doing. You could go to, it's just so easy. And they're trying to get everything done within a matter of just a couple clicks. You see something you like, there's tons of information on one page. Click add to cart, select your shipping, and then check out. And that's it. And it's there's really even amazing. that um, one step checkout now as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, so there it's is. really getting too easy. <laughs> it really is. It's an amazing thing. So just making it really, really easy for your customer. And, and you know, like I said, it's hard to to give a, a sort of a generalized answer because it really is an art form, and it really depends on um, you know who your your customer is. If you have a, an online business that sells um, art, um, expensive art, uh, then you're going to, you know, it's going to be a little bit different. I have an artist client who sells art that's in, it's in the five figure range and their customers like to read, uh, you know, a huge, huge description about the artwork. And they like to see extremely high definition, um, uh, picture and video of the art before they buy it and then they click buy and they buy it online, but they'll spend 
like an hour reading about the artwork before they'll buy. Um, not all your customers are going to want that. You know, if they're if they're buying um, uh, towels for their bathroom, they're not going to want to read ten thousand words. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So, would you like to give a thirty second elevator pitch for Overflow Cafe? Oh yeah, please. Uh, so, Overflow Cafe, that's my company. I founded it when I was fifteen. I'm thirty eight years old now. We do one thing: we make websites popular. So, if any of you need help making your website popular, please head on over to overflowcafe.com and maybe we might be right for you that's it fantastic chain is we're just going to take a quick break and then we'll dive right back into the value link round chain is one of my favorite questions to ask guests is what is your favorite book and if you enjoy reading books but you don't really have the time a fantastic resource is Audible. Audible is an Amazon company. And if you use our link, you're going to get 15 days free trial. And you can basically choose whichever book you'd like to listen to for free. That's chainofwealth.com slash audible. I absolutely love this service. I use it myself and I can't recommend this enough. If you're busy and on the go and want to consume more books, this is definitely a resource you want to check out. That's chainofwealth.com slash audible. So Jeff, what is your saving or retirement plan? You know, I, um, I actually only started thinking about retirement just a couple years ago. I'm, I'm kind of late to the game. Um, my accountant said, you know, you've got all your assets or most of your assets in Overflow Cafe. And I said, okay, what do I do? He says, well, investments into stocks and mutual funds and, and real estate. And I said, okay, so I've been slowly and progressively diversifying. So I've got, um, I just have a small little stock portfolio. I've got uh, mutual fund. The mutual fund's doing horribly, by the way. It was recommended to me by my bank, and I should have known not to listen to them. But it's actually, even though the market is up, my mutual fund is down several percent. I'm sure um, that they're still then, grabbing their fee. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, they're, they're, get, they're getting their fee. They're getting their fee all the time. Um, and then real estate. Now, real estate um, is extremely interesting. Here in, in Canada, and I'm, I'm in the Toronto area, Real estate is so expensive, and even though it's considered a stable investment, it always has me nervous because I always feel like I'm buying at the top end, and um, and I don't know. I, I I'm doing it because I trust my accountant and I like to surround myself with experts. So that is my retirement plan. It's it's stocks and mutual funds and real estate. And if I ever come across a project or a company that I think is, is extremely interesting, that I, I do like to invest. Great. So do you have any other books or podcasts you could recommend to our listeners? There's a book. Um, it's an autobiography called Total Recall. It's by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, he starred in a movie with the same name, um, and the two are completely separate. His book is amazing. It's over 700 pages, and he details, you know, his early life in Austria, his move to America, um, his athletic career. He actually made $100 million in real estate before he ever did his first movie, 
And because of that, he says, he says he's never had to audition for a movie in his life. He would always say, look, I, I don't even need this. If you want to give me the role, give me the role. If you don't want to give it to me, that's fine. I don't even need it. And he ended up becoming a huge movie star as well. And then he got into politics and other stuff like that. <laughs> in, yeah, incredible, incredible book. I was really surprised um, at how uh, it's one of those books I would actually, I, I never read a book twice. And this is one of those books that I would consider reading a second time around. Wow, I actually had no idea that he was worth as much money so early on. That's actually quite interesting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He he purchased property. Um, it was just part of his plan all along. And he, he was making, that's really where he's made his fortune um, before all the movie stuff. Hectic. So do you have a favorite quote you like to live by? I do. I don't know who invented this quote but the quote is basically along the lines of you miss 100 of the shots that you don't take i love that jeff we've absolutely loved hanging out today do you have any other last parting piece of advice for our listeners and then we'll say goodbye yeah you know something that i've learned the hard way in life please surround yourself with experts wherever possible you know don't go into business alone trying to be an expert in every area Surround yourself with people who know what they're doing and you will reach your goals. Shane, as we've been hanging out with Jeff Hall, you can check out his website. It's overflowcafe.com. And if you are trying to expand your reach, if you have a business, this is definitely a resource you want to check out. Chainers, we absolutely loved hanging out with you today and we'd got a question for you today. The question of the day is what book have you found really inspiring and has it changed your life? We would love to know. Hit us up. It's at Chain of Wealth on Twitter or you can email us. It's info at chainofwealth.com. We'll catch you on the flip side.